it's 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's midnight. <laughs> That timed out well, didn't it? <laughs> oh, welcome aboard, my friends. Welcome. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. I am, however, wearing my Japanese demon shirt tonight. This is a shirt full of Japanese demons from folklore. And uh, this is our Halloween special. We are going to do a complete change of format. If you are a first-time viewer to our show, this is not usually what our set looks like. We're all colorful and brightly lit, but we redesigned a little bit for tonight. And so, yeah. Serena Lee, hi, Jay. What do you say? I say boo. We're going to try and scare you tonight. Um, we've got a full show of nothing but scary stories. And we've got some cool ones, including some very classic scary. Some are short. In fact, I've got a segment that's only scary stories that are only two lines long. But, um, yeah, we... Uh, We've got all of that and more for you tonight. Just hang with me one quick second while I do a little adjusting. There we go. All right. So yes, our studio is, uh, is very different tonight. Um, I will do a brief Miko update <laughs> because we always update you on Miko, even though it's not normally a scary story. But I couldn't do a show without a Miko update. And it relates to tonight's Halloween theme. She's on meds because of her recent hospital stay. And she is not the kind of dog that likes taking meds. She fights all the time, including biting. And tonight, as I was giving her one of her meds, that's... I'm not flipping you off. That's a Band-Aid because she drew blood tonight. So we actually have live blood here on the show. It's got a bandage on it now. But thanks, Miko, for the blood to add to the horror of tonight's show. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, man. All right. We're going to get into it, because we don't want to wait too long. We've got all kinds of cool stories, and we're starting off with this one from the writer Marie Sama. Turn the lights down low. Maybe close your eyes. In fact, if you're listening on the podcast, you might have the advantage. You know that shadow demon who enters your sleep? Well, I saw her last night after reading it. She tried to whisper, but I couldn't wake up. Instead, my dream catcher woke me up after taking her and my bad dream. I never knew that could happen. Hell, she knew I'm gender fluid. Somehow she knew my name and age. She knew I hate the night. She's creepy. I never told anybody about me, not even my real name. She knew my birthday, who my boyfriend is. I'm not even lying. She somehow knew who I am. I don't know if it's true. I believe demons are just the spirits of those who died and were forgotten by God, so... They were sent to Satan or what, but I saw her when I woke up. 
For some reason, she didn't attack me at all, not even in my dream. She just stood there, watching me. Call me Ankuku. She came to me three nights in a row and whispered to me. Now my shoulders and the back of my neck hurt, but I felt her fingers on my skin as well at 3 a.m. She came to me last night and said, Please do not be afraid. I will not harm you. I hear you help spirits. I couldn't wake up. Something in my garden woke me up. And this is what she said. I will not harm you. I just want to talk to you. Trust me, I won't attack. I hear from Satan that you help spirits of kids. You see, your great aunt, who died two years ago, that's what she said. I woke up and started crying at the memory of my great aunt. And yes, I talked to ghosts 24-7 to help them find peace. I've helped 13,000 over spirit kids find peace. Be warned. Some of these are weird. <laughs> All right, this from Kanyel J. This is actually a true story been documented. In 1984, a woman was sitting at home reading when she suddenly heard a very clear voice inside her head. The voice told her, please don't be afraid. I know it must be shocking for you to hear me speaking to you like this, but this is the easiest way I could think of. My friend and I used to work at the Children's Hospital, Great Ormond Street, and we'd like to help you. After a series of medical tests, including psychological assessments, the patient was eventually diagnosed with a large, benign, malignant brain tumor. The voice continued to speak to her throughout the medical testing. After the surgery, she had uh, to remove the tumor. The patient heard from the voices one last time after regaining consciousness when she heard them say, we're pleased to have helped you. Goodbye. After that, she reported no post-surgical problems and she never heard the voice again. The study of a patient diagnosing her own brain tumor with the help of mysterious voices in her head was actually published by the British Medical Journal. <laughs> True story. My grandfather passed away just a few weeks after I was born. Never met the guy, never knew what he looked like. When I was five years old, I started to see this man in our rocking chair. I called him the rocking chair man. My parents thought it was an imaginary friend and I was just going through that stage, but it started to bug them when I told them about it every single day. And finally, they questioned me about it. I told them every detail I could remember. And finally, they showed me a picture of a man. It was my grandfather. To this day, I'm 22 now. Every time I dream, he's in the background somewhere. I remember when I dreamed about my high school graduation. And I looked in the stands. I saw him there with my parents. I like to think he's just watching out for me being there. 
when he's not really there. Several years ago, when my daughter was just over five years old, uh, three years old, my husband and I were watching a TV show about 9-11. It was on or around the anniversary of the event. My daughter, who was coloring nearby, looked up when the screen showed a plane hitting one of the World Trade Center buildings. She looked us straight in the eye and said, I died there. Then she just went back to coloring like she hadn't said a word. We never talked to her about the concept of death, never discussed 9-11 with her, and since then she's not said anything else about it. But now if something comes on TV about 9-11, she says, I don't want to watch this. This particular section is all full of true stories. The Hampton Court Palace in Surrey, thought to be one of the most haunted in England. According to their website, this castle is officially haunted by at least three specters. Catherine Howard, the screaming lady in the haunted gallery, has been spotted multiple times over the years by palace workers and guests alike. Sybil Penn, the Grey Lady of Hampton Court Palace, has been spotted roaming the palace since her tomb was moved back in 1829. However, the palace's most notable haunting is Skeletor. This creepy apparition was actually caught on the palace's CCTV in 2003. On three consecutive days, palace security staff were called to close one particular fire door near the palace's introductory exhibition. On the first day, the CCTV footage showed the doors flying wide open with a great force, but there was nothing there to reveal why. On the second day, the same thing happened, but this time, a ghostly figure in period dress suddenly appeared on the screen and closed the doors. They added the doors opened again on the third day, but there was no further sign of the ghostly doorkeeper. About 10 years ago, I was eight. I was visiting my dad at his house. My stepmother was in the kitchen and I was in the family room. We both saw my father wearing a red flannel shirt and blue jeans, walk around the corner from the living room and start walking up the stairs. I followed him, I called out his name as he went up the stairs. He turned back and looked at me got to the top of the stairs and went around the corner. I called his name again and then from the living room my dad popped his head up over the couch and said, what do you want? I've been asleep on the couch the entire time yet both my stepmother and I clearly saw him wearing the clothes he had on the whole day go from the living room up the stairs. It was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. And both my stepmother and I remember it and we talk about it to this day. It was broad daylight, so I'm very certain it wasn't some uncanny illusion of the night. When my oldest sister was little, like three, she asked my pregnant aunt to pick her up and hold her. My mom said she was like 
She can't pick you up, honey. She has a baby in her tummy. And then my little sister was like, that baby is dead. My mom freaked out, but my aunt and grandma were fine and they were telling my mom it was all good. She was just a toddler and didn't know what she was saying. But lo and behold, my aunt went to the doctor the next day for a routine pregnancy checkup and the baby had passed from Stanley. Scary stuff. These are true stories documented. I was living in a house in Laguna Beach that had been there since the 1920s and in its history was a speakeasy, a brothel, a house for smuggling illegal immigrants. One day, my new wife and I were having an argument. I can't even recall what it was about. She walked down to the block to get a cup of coffee and cool off, and I was alone in the house. From my bedroom, I could look across the hall into the bathroom. Through the bathroom, down the other hall. I was standing at my dresser, and I noticed something out of the corner of my eye and looked down there. There was, honest to God, this gives me goosebumps just typing it. Seventeen years later, a black figure, maybe three feet tall, only vaguely humanoid. It looked like black scribbles, like someone had scribbled a human shape. But the scribblers moved like Electricity arching, arcing. That's the best way to describe it. No sound that I could remember. I distinctly remember when I saw it, I wasn't afraid. Then I noticed it looking at me. I can't say it turned around, it just focused on me, I guess. Then I was scared. I didn't move. I didn't scream, nothing. I was just frozen because it came at me. It rushed down the hall towards me. I have no idea what it intended, but as soon as it entered the bathroom, the door closest to me just slammed shut on it. And then I screamed. I yelled for my wife. She wasn't home. I went outside into the daylight and I didn't go back into the house until about 10 minutes later and we never saw it again. When I was around 20, a few years ago, I kept having dreams about a woman with long black hair named Aurora. There were different dreams, but for some reason, her distinct face and name always ended up in them. It got to the point where I would wake up frustrated and confused, tried to Google her name or find out how I was connected to her. After a few months, she stopped showing up. I dismissed it, thinking my brain was just jumbled. Fast forward a few years, Halloween 2009. I'm in the car with a friend, stopped at a gas station. I'm about to pull out and merge onto a highway when I get a phone call from a random number. So I stopped the car, but no one answered. There was a person behind me who grew impatient honked at me, then swerved in front of me instead of waiting for two seconds for me to move. Second they get on the highway, a silver Civic loses control of their wheel and crashes into the car that swerved in front of me. I called the cops, waited at the gas station for them to come. Turns out both of the drivers of the cars died. It won 
100% would have been me if I hadn't got that phone call. Called it back a few hours later out of gratitude and curiously rang three times, went to voicemail. And it's, the voicemail said, Hi, you've reached Aurora. Please leave your name and number. Called it again the next day because I was confused about the whole situation. Some woman answered. We get to talking. I tell her the entire story, including my dreams. She tells me she doesn't know how I got her number, and she never called me as far as she remembers. I asked if she has a Facebook to confirm it, and in fact, when I checked her profile, she is the woman in my dreams. It's her. <laughs> All right, I need a break for some coffee. I got a bunch of these folks. They just get weirder and weirder, so stay with me. <clears throat> Very strange. I'm probably the only 16-year-old boy who sleeps with a doll. You see, when I was about six... I realized I really liked girl stuff. I didn't mind being a male, but all the female stuff was the stuff I really wanted. Sadly, my mom didn't see it like that. She threw away anything of mine that represented girl stuff. She says it wasn't right, but there was one girl-like object my mom didn't trash, and that was my great-grandmother's doll. My great-grandmother's doll had blonde hair, blue eyes. Her lips were faded blood red. She had a slight blush and wore an old work dress. Her name was Ella. I was nine when I first heard the song. Ella, I'm in the attic. I fell in love with that song. I sang it every night to my great-grandmother's doll. I think she liked it because while I sang, she smiled. It seemed to grow wider. However, as the years passed, I slowly forgot the song. Well, let's zoom back to the present. Me, a 16-year-old boy, and I slept with Ella. That sounded wrong. You understand Ella is the doll. One night, I went to bed, and for some reason woke up around 1.30 a.m. I grumbled, thinking about the test I had tomorrow. I needed sleep to do well. I reached for Ella because she calms me down. But Ella wasn't there. I sat up, turned on the bedside lamp. No Ella in sight. I sighed and turned off my lamp. I guess I'd have to fall asleep without her. Half an hour later, I was still awake, wide awake. Ella, I muttered, wishing she could reply. A whisper of a voice replied, Ella, I said louder. I'm in the attic, came the reply. I started to get up, but stopped. Something was wrong. Ella, I said again. I'm on the first step. I smiled, my inner kid coming out. This was fun. It was exactly like the old song I used to sing. I kept calling out Ella and she kept coming down the steps. It was all fun and games until, Ella, I'ma kill your mommy. I gasped, Ella, she answered, but I didn't hear. I was too busy freaking out. I needed to stop saying her name. Then she would stop. 
When morning came, I could throw her out. But my voice refused to stop. It just kept saying, Ella, I'm gonna kill your daddy. No, my brain shouted, even as my voice muttered another, Ella, and another, and another, Ella, I'm in the kitchen. A sharp sound of metal was heard. Ella, I shouted. I'm in the living room. I racked my brain trying to remember the song, but I didn't think there was any mention of my parents' bedroom, which was a relief. She wouldn't kill my parents. Then, then I recalled that my parents watched a movie tonight. No, no, I, I crossed my fingers praying that they didn't fall asleep during the show. Ella, I've killed your mommy. There was a scream from the living room. Sarah, my dad yelled, Sarah. My dad sounded near, near tears. He, he must have seen the doll because he started shouting, you killed Sarah. I listened intently, but soon, too soon, everything went silent. I waited five minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Finally, I couldn't stand the silence. Ella, I stammered, I've killed your daddy. I went numb. Ella, I muttered, pulling the covers over my head. Ella, Ella, Ella. I stopped then because I heard the door creak open. I'm in your bedroom. Ella, I gasped out loud before realizing my mistake. Something jumped onto the bed. It climbed onto my chest and stayed there. I'm in your bed. After a while, I pulled the covers off my head. I wanted to see Ella. My bedroom door was open. Light poured in from the living room. I could see my parents' dead, bloody bodies. I forced my eyes away from them and looked at my great-grandmother's doll. Her hair was brushed, framed her face perfectly. Her eyes seemed alive. Her lips were no longer faded, but dark red, as if she'd used my parents' blood to dye her lips. She had on a sky-blue dress. She looked almost pretty, except, except the fact she was spattered in blood and held a knife. Ella, I said, both awed and feared. Ella leaned toward me, smiled, and whispered, You're mine. Oh my. <laughs> okay. That was a good one. Dang. The story of Ella. Goodness me. These I told you they're just getting creepier as they go. Mommy sleeps in the basement. Speak louder, please. I put my hand up next to my ear from the back of the room, signaling her that she would need to raise her voice. She took a deep breath. I could see anxiety turning her cheeks beet red as strands of blonde hair began to fall out of the same nappy ponytail she wore every day. There was something so familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. With her face glued to the paper, too afraid to make eye contact, she quickly sputtered out. My name is Paisley Jackson, and this is my poem called My Family. Paisley was a shy little girl. In fact, she was one of the quietest students I'd ever had in my 10 years of teaching. I guess being the youngest of 11 will do that. 
Surprisingly, she was very smart, unlike the rest of her siblings who were dumber than a box of rocks. Lord, the Jackson kids were such a headache. Except for Paisley, of course. I just wish I could have given her more opportunities to improve her future. Now, don't get me wrong. I tried to help Paisley. I really did. I gave her clothes, food, even had funds lined up for her, but living dirt poor in a shack out in the middle of the desert was a bad hand to be dealt in life. Besides, no matter what I did, it wouldn't have made a difference. Everyone knows the cycle of poverty is almost impossible to break. I crossed my legs, pen in hand, preparing for yet another bland story about a family I'd never get to meet. If you've ever worked with underprivileged kids, you'll know that guardian involvement is quite rare. I have two mommies. One named Betty can make good spaghetti. I call her mom. She's the one that's married to my dad. One named Claire with pretty yellow hair. I call her mommy. Daddy calls her his project, his hobby. I've seen hundreds of polygamist families, so this didn't strike me as odd. Mom takes care of all of us. She can do that because she's tall. Mommy wears a silver pretty bracelet. She wears it because she's so famous. Wouldn't be the first time I saw kids coming up with stories about celebrity parents to add excitement to their ordinary lives. I just didn't expect it to come from Paisley. Mommy has me and Tommy. He's one of my older brothers. Mom is a lot older. She has all the others. I cringed. That meant that one of Paisley's mothers had given birth to nine children. I couldn't imagine going through that many pregnancies. Dad says me and Tommy are a gift from God. He'll never hit us with a rod. His pride and joy is Tommy, but he says the only person he loves is Mommy. I looked up from my grade book with a line about a rod catching my attention. However, this wasn't the first time one of my students has accidentally reported abuse. Mommy is having another baby. She's mad because Dad wants to call it Daisy. Mommy can't have any more kids. Her last one dies of SIDS. Shifting in my seat, I scribbled down a note reminding myself to deliver my daughter's old baby clothes to Jackson's shack, and as a mother myself, I know babies can be expensive. Dad says she did it on purpose, because she wanted to run off and join the circus. Mom says it wasn't her fault. I promised to keep that secret between me and her fault. I shook my head in sadness. How could someone blame a grieving mother for something she couldn't control? Mommy was one dad choose. He shows he watched all her school shows. They were joined in the night. Daddy says inside her is a lot of fight. Mom is just a cover. Dad doesn't really love her. I threw my hand up, gesture meaning stop. I had taught my students, but Paisley didn't look up. She continued to read, oblivious to my disappointed frown. Mommy says she needs to get out. She needs to show me what life is all about. Dad gets mad. It's his biggest pet peeve. Mommy is sad. She just wants to leave. Mommy sings to me her favorite song. Mom says Dad's head is wired wrong. Shaking my head, I sighed. Another child with so much potential, such a kind heart, stuck in the middle of a lover's quarrel that didn't even involve her. Last birthday, I wanted to take wake Mommy to see her favorite basketball team. Mom made me a cake with frosted buttercream. 
I go to host see the Knicks, but Dad said he made a mistake he couldn't fix. Nothing is the same anymore. I don't know why for sure. Now Dad cries at night alone. He asks God, what have I done? To Mom he no longer tends. He hopes the baby will make amends. Paisley rose her head up with a smile, looking for my approval. Although I was appalled at the inappropriateness of her open, I didn't want her to break her spirit, so she was very, clearly very proud of it. Scolding her for something that wasn't her doing, doing was just going to send that little girl back in her shell. So instead I clapped making the rest of the class, who were too young to understand the gravity of the situation, also applaud. Mrs. June, I brought a picture of Mommy for extra credit. It's got one more part of the poem. Can I show the class? I nodded my head, thinking there couldn't be possibly any details worse than what she already presented. Paisley reached in the front pocket of her worn-out, hand-me-down dress, pulled out an old, aging photo. She dipped the flaking picture around, displaying it as if it were her most prized possession. My blood ran cold when I finally figured out why Paisley looked so familiar to me. In what seemed to be a school photograph, Smiling ear to ear, exactly like Paisley, was a young woman by the name of Claire Daisy, a high school student popular for her ability to gain the lead in nearly every school play that went missing without a trace twelve years ago. No witnesses, no evidence, no body, nothing. Case was covered in every news station for a while because of how peculiar it was until people just lost interest. Paisley happily continued. I was so shocked I couldn't stop her as she read the back of the picture. There is one thing I don't understand and maybe you'll have the answer at hand. If Dad's love for Mommy will never sway, why did he treat her that way? Mom lays her head on a nice soft bed, but Mommy sleeps in the basement under a big slab of cement. This is just getting stranger and stranger. I'm telling you. I promised you these were going to be weird, and they are. <laughs> okay, what do we got? Okay, let's do a little break here. <clears throat> I've got a lot of stories tonight. I'm not going to get to all of them. But um, one of the things I found was two-sentence horror stories. Seriously, two sentences. Trust me, they exist. And they're weird. Two-sentence horror stories. There was a picture in my phone of me sleeping. I live alone. I was having a pleasant dream when what sounded like hammering woke me. After that, I could barely hear the muffled sound of dirt covering the coffin over my own screams. Two sentence horror stories. I woke up to hear knocking on glass. At first, I thought it was the window until I heard it come again from the mirror. 
I can't move, breathe, speak, or hear. And it's so dark all the time. If I knew it would be this lonely, I would have been cremated instead. Nice. My wife woke me up last night to tell me there was an intruder in our house. She was murdered by an intruder two years ago. I never go to sleep, but I keep waking up. These are so cool. Two sentence horror stories. The last thing I saw was my alarm clock flashing 12.07 before, before she pushed her long, rotting nails through my chest, her other hand muffling my screams. I sat bolt upright, relieved it was only a dream. And as I saw my alarm clock read 12.06, I heard my closet door creak open. Oh man, it's giving me shivers. <laughs> Two sentence horror stories. She went upstairs to check on her sleeping toddler. The window was open and the bed was empty. I can't sleep, she whispered, crawling into bed with me. I woke up cold, clutching the dress she was buried in. Who writes this stuff? I began tucking him into bed, and he tells me, Daddy, check for monsters under my bed. So I get down on my hands and knees and look underneath for his amusement. And under the bed, I see him, another him, staring back at me, quivering and whispering, Daddy, there's something on my bed. I'm getting goosebumps. These are too much. Okay, okay, okay. Gotta move on. <laughs> Seriously. These are creepy. And they're only two sentences. Okay. We got a few more to go and then we're gonna wrap it up for the night. <laughs> this, is, this is great. All right. Uh, I have to beat the morning sun. Just one more left. The hum of my bike's engine fills my soul with the need to ride like a bat out of hell. And that is a very accurate description about now. Since I'm trying to avoid hell at the moment, my leather jacket does nothing to protect me from night's cold air. I'm frozen everywhere, inside and out. I've got nothing to live for, except the promise of freedom when the sun hits the horizon to the east. It's been a lonely and exhausting existence. Sometimes I lose myself and wonder why I even bother. I've been after these damn pirates for one day short of ten years. Let me tell you, it's been a long ten years. Day after day, chasing, always chasing. I'm down to one. I have to catch him. Then I'll have paid the devil his due. I'll be lifted from this debt. I'll be free. Almost ten years ago, all the pirates on that cursed ship had escaped the underworld. Over a hundred and fifty years ago, they boarded a passenger vessel crossing the Atlantic. They slaughtered every man, woman, and child, and from that day, 
their souls belong to the devil himself. I wouldn't have been after them if I didn't owe the devil a debt for saving my wife. She had cancer, too much smoking. I knew I was going to lose her. He took the cancer from her, and she was fine, and I was so happy. But the problem with making a deal with the devil is he always wins. A week later, she died in a car wreck, but he still came to collect his due. Doesn't matter anymore. Just have to find the last of the 143 souls. There he is, over the horizon, Captain Black. I can smell the rotting flesh and sulfur, his eyes burning red with flames. Blasted zombie, he's been waiting for me. Suddenly he turns and speeds across the open roads. He doesn't need a bike or any other vehicle. He uses his demon speed and glides upon a black mist. I go faster. I've almost got him. A loud crack echoes through the sky. What the hell? I look over my shoulder, and there on the horizon is the first glimpse of the sun. No. I've got to go faster. I'm almost there. The sky brightens. It's not fair. I'm racing the sun. I've got to go faster, faster. Hello, James. The devil appears before me in a flash. No. I gave you ten years to collect a hundred and forty-three souls, and guess what? <laughs> you only gave me a hundred and forty-two. Such a shame. Cuffs of burning flame and circle my wrist, pulling me down, 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 as I ride with the devil. Yeah, that one called Ride with the Devil. All right, just a few more to go here, and then we're going to wrap it up for the night. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying our scary story time. Growing up, my bedroom was the only one that faced the front of the house. When I was about eight or nine, I woke up to my dad calmly but firmly telling me to get up, go into the bathroom, and shut the door. I was annoyed because I was half asleep, but I listened. Apparently, I was more tired than I realized because I fell asleep on the bathroom floor. The next morning, I asked my mom what happened. She seemed oblivious and confused. I, I looked at my dad like she was crazy, and I asked him, why did you wake me up? He denied doing it. I was becoming frustrated to the point of tears, but ultimately I let it go. Fast forward to college. I was home one break and I decided to ask again. I thought of that night off and on for years and it still bothered me. This time my dad goes, huh, I was wondering if you even remembered that. Turns out a lot of houses on our block were being vandalized and robbed all those years ago. Someone had broken into the garage and was inside my house. 
My room was partially over the garage. My dad heard it happen again and quietly got me to safety. The police were called, the guy ran, he was never caught. However, my parents didn't want a terrified kid on their hands, so for years, they pretended nothing ever happened. It wasn't supernatural, but it sure was unsettling. Not to me, but to my sister. Her husband had just had their first child a few months prior. My brother-in-law was working the graveyard shift as his job, and my sister stayed home, taking care of my nephew. Around 2 a.m., she heard loud knocking on the back door. She went to go check it out and saw a lady banging on the door, asking my sister to let her in. The lady told my sister her husband had just beat her down the street and was looking for her. My sister was hesitant to let her in since she had a newborn in the house, didn't want to interfere. She told the lady the best she could do was to call the police for her. The lady told my sister, do not call the police and let me in. This is where my sister got suspicious. She went to get her phone and called 911. And when she got back to the door, the lady was gone. The police arrived a few minutes later and told my sister the same situation had happened just a few streets down. Apparently, the couple would do this act to get into people's homes. Goodness. Nice. True story. We bought an old house, my boyfriend and I. He's in charge of the new construction, converting the kitchen into the master bedroom, for instance, while I'm on wallpaper removal duty. The previous owner wallpapered every wall and the ceiling. Removing it is brutal, but oddly satisfying. The best feeling is get a long peel like your skin when you're peeling from a sunburn. I don't know about you, but I kind of make a game of peeling on the hunt for the longest piece before it rips. Under a corner section of paper in every room is a person's name and a date. Curiosity got the better of me one night when I googled one of the names and discovered the person was actually a missing person. And the missing date matched the date under the wallpaper. The next day, I made a list of all the names and all the dates. And sure enough, each name was for a missing person with dates that matched. We notified the police who naturally sent out the crime scene team. And I overheard one tech say, yep. It's human. Human? What's human? Ma'am, where's the material you remove from the walls? That isn't wallpaper you were removing. It's skin. Goodness me. Okay. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I'm lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destination like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am with a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine, considering he's confined to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course, they did at first, 
Charlie's been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time, without fail, it starts again. The neighborhood cats, with gouged-out eyes showing up in his toy chest, mom's vitamin replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy and trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he's ready for rehabilitation. That I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away, but it makes me have to pretend to be good until he gets back. Okay, one more, and then we're out of here. He woke to the huge, insect-like creatures looming over his bed and screamed his lungs out. They hastily left the room, and he stayed up all night, shaking, wondering if it had been a dream. The next morning, there was a tap on the door. Gathering his courage, he opened it to see one of them gently place a plate filled with fried breakfast on the floor and then retreat a safe distance. <laughs> Bewildered, he accepted the gift. The creatures chittered excitedly. This happened every day for weeks. At first, he was worried they were fattening him up but after a particularly greasy breakfast left him clutching his chest from heartburn, they were replaced with fresh fruit. As well as cooking, they poured hot, steamy baths for him, even tucked him in when he went to bed. It was bizarre. One night, he awoke to gunshots and screaming. He raced downstairs to find a decapitated burglar being devoured by the insects. He was sickened, but disposed of the remains as best he could. He knew they'd just been protecting him. One morning, the creatures wouldn't let him leave his room. He lay down confused, but trusting, as they ushered him back into the bed. Whatever their motives, they weren't going to hurt him. Hours later, a burning pain <laughs> spread through his body. It felt like his stomach was filled with razor wire. The insects chittered as he spasmed and moaned. It was only when he felt a terrible, squirming feeling beneath his skin, he realized the insects hadn't been protecting him. They'd been protecting their young. Oh my. All right, my friends, that's gonna do it. We've done over an hour of scary stories. I hope you enjoyed that. We will be back on Monday night with a regular edition of I'm Not Wearing Pants. And uh, enjoy your Halloween tomorrow, whether you're partying or trick-or-treating or whatever it might be. Have yourselves a great night, and I will see you again on Monday. I'm Jay Sheldon. <laughs> Yo!